Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Series in the Gospel of Luke. Again, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 if you like. My wife was uh, given a bread starter by her mother a few uh, months ago, and from that simple bread starter that Aunt Ashley gave to Angela Davidson, dozens and dozens loaves of bread have been made. The boys that stayed at my house for Disciple Now were also recipients of that bread starter, a sourdough bread starter that my wife turned into some of the finest cinnamon rolls anyone could ever have. And she has given that bread starter out to her friends, and she's given that bread starter out to her family, and she continues to feed this small sourdough bread starter, and it continues to produce and spread. How many of you have ever been a recipient of a bread starter? Yes? So like most of you, okay? That, that's really good. So you know what I'm talking about. Interestingly enough, I read a story about a woman named Lucille Clark, who lives in Newcastle, England, and she claims to have the oldest bread starter in the world. And her bread starter charts back 122 years. That's an old bread starter. Her bread starter was created before the rotary dial, before the airplane, before the modern assembly line, and someone stirred these ingredients together the same year that the Eiffel Tower opened and that Vincent van Gogh painted his great work, Starry Night. Her bread starter has lived through the turns of two centuries, the Great Depression, World War I, World War II, the Cold War, Korea, Vietnam, and beyond. It predates the blues, jazz, rock and roll, and her bread starter goes back some 23 U.S. presidencies. Her bread starter, by the way, is older than the state of Wyoming. That's an old bread starter. Lucille Clark Dumbrell, she got it from her mother, who got it from one of her husband's students at the University of Wyoming. The student's family could trace it all the way back to 1889. And friends, whether you are my wife or whether your name is Lucille and you're from England, it's amazing to me that something so small, something so insignificant, something so ordinary could grow beyond something that would last the test of time. Friends, let me tell you this morning, you can't judge the potential of something at its infancy. You can't measure the future at the beginning stages of a person's life. Just because something is tiny at its origin doesn't mean that it can't grow into something huge. It doesn't mean it can't grow into something special. After all, do you know what these companies have in common? Apple, Amazon, Hewlett-Packard. Google, Walt Disney, 
and the toy company Mattel. Do you know what those companies have in common? You, you would all think, well, they're, they're some of the, the most profitable companies on planet Earth, and you would be right. But at the same time, every one of those companies started in someone's garage. It's true. They all started in a garage. Facebook, by the way, again, one of the most, most profitable companies in the world, and it boasts almost a billion users worldwide. Facebook was started in a college dorm room. Mighty oaks are birthed from small acorns. If you go back and think biblically, even the universe itself is something to truly marvel at. According to Genesis, God took the void of nothing and he spoke everything we know into existence. God took something less than small. He took something that was nothing and made it into this. Everything that we see now, even the kingdom of God, started with a carpenter and 12 uh, 12 sinners, we call them disciples, from the Middle East. And who would have thought that? This morning, we're looking at God's kingdom. And and of course, God's kingdom here on earth didn't start very impressive. It didn't start in a beautiful building. It didn't have flashy lights or a fancy band. It didn't even have a pulpit or a microphone to have its jump off or its origin. It started off in a very humble way. It started off very small, but it began to grow very fast. This morning, fill in these blanks for me, if you will. God's kingdom started small. It started small, but it replicated rapidly, and it is ever-expanding. God's kingdom, it started small, just with a carpenter and 12 sinners, but it replicated rapidly. We see that in the book of Acts, that it began to grow beyond the borders of that small group of men. And even now, some 2,020 years later, we are still seeing God's kingdom growing here on planet Earth and, of course, the expansion of heaven itself. Now, this morning, before we read Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, I, I want to tell you that we have the luxury of hindsight. We can look backwards in time where the disciples did not have that luxury. The disciples, at least in this point in Jesus' ministry and teaching, they are having a very difficult time understanding the nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about. They have their own views. They're thinking, well, perhaps the kingdom of God is when a Messiah comes and overthrows this wicked Roman government. It'll be a new government here on earth, a government that will be righteous and a government that will be for the people, but yet it would be earthly in origin. They have little understanding that the true nature of God's kingdom is that they are ambassadors in training. So Jesus, at least in Luke chapter 13, he is searching for a comparison to help his disciples understand what he's talking about. And he gives two familiar parables. He gives the parable first of the mustard seed, and he gives a second shorter parable of leaven or of leavened bread. So this morning, let's read from Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21 together. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. Jesus is speaking here in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. 
and it grew and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. In verse 20, and again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, I will tell you this in verses 20 and 21, believe it or not, that's a joke. If you've ever wondered, by the way, if Jesus was someone who liked to laugh and smile, or if Jesus liked to tell jokes, well, this is it. He's telling a joke. Now, the joke is lost on us, clearly, because this is in the ancient world, and we're clearly not living in the ancient world. But I'm going to come back to that, and I'll share with you why what Jesus is saying is kind of comical and funny, and why it would have drawn a bit of a snicker in his day. So this morning, I want to talk about three heavenly truths from Jesus, three heavenly truths that are disseminated from these two short, small parables. Truth one, there is potential in the puny. There is potential in the puny. Again, he says, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made its nest and its branches. You know, there's a lot of reasons why I love Jesus. He was the sacrificial lamb of God sent to earth to die for me and to, more, and to restore my relationship with both he and his father. I am enormously grateful for my salvation. And yet I'm also thankful to Jesus, not just for my salvation, but for his education. There are so many times where we try to take the simple truths of Christ and turn them into something deeper than what they were meant to be. It reminds me of a story that a pastor once told me. He was told me that it was a, a true story. He said that after he had finished preaching on a Sunday morning that a member of the congregation, a member of the church, came up to him and told him that his teachings were just too shallow and simple. He wasn't a deep preaching preacher. He said that he was speaking for the church and that he came up and he told him that his teachings were shallow and simple and he chastised the preacher because his style wasn't deep enough at least in the eyes of a few of the congregation and the preacher thought for a moment and he responded by saying I'm, whether this is wise or not he said sir with all due respect when you start living daily these simple teachings from today's sermons I will gladly teach a deeper lesson until then you'll just have to settle for my simple teachings. And truthfully, Jesus used really simple things. If you go back and you look at the narrative stories of Christ, you'll see that Jesus would not really be a, a deep teacher. Jesus talked about farming. He talked about animals. He talked about sowing seeds. He, he talked about fields. He talked about things that everybody understood. People could identify with Jesus. In this passage, Jesus is talking about a very deep thing, which is the kingdom of God. How in the world could he possibly illustrate such a massive concept to such simple people? How could he unpack what the kingdom of God is like to those who've never seen the kingdom of God or a person who's never experienced the kingdom of God? 
So Jesus reaches not for some deep truth. He reaches for the most simple, the most identifiable thing that people would understand. He reaches for a mustard seed. I think on our screen we have a picture of what a mustard seed looks like. That is a mustard seed. This tiny seed, if placed in the right soil, if placed in the right time of year, the right climate, given the right amount of sunshine and water, will grow into what many theologians and scientists believe would be a Salvadora persisca, or a mustard tree. A tree that reaches an astounding 25 feet in height. Can you imagine something so small, something so simple and insignificant growing some 25 feet tall? And out of that small seed, it, it produces shade and it produces shelter. It produces branches so that birds of the air can make their nests. By the way, this is not the first time that the kingdom of God has been compared to something so small. If you want to, rewind, go to Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, and listen to what the prophet says. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take a branch from the top of a tall cedar, and I will plant it on top of Israel's highest mountain. It will become a majestic cedar, Sending forth its branches and producing seed and birds of, the, of every sort will find nest in it, finding shelter in the shade of its branches. And all the trees will know that it is I, the Lord, who cuts the tall down and makes the short tree to grow tall. It is I who makes the green tree wither and gives the dead tree new life. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do as I said." In Jesus' day, if people defined the kingdom of God by Jesus' followers, it would have seemed very, very small and very, very insignificant in the shadow of the world's population. You're only talking about a small fraction of people. Even at the height of Jesus' ministry, if you were to say, well, that's the kingdom of God, it would still be insignificant and small in the grand scheme of the world. However, Jesus promised that this little bitty small group of men— this group of ragtag misfit believers that they would be used to replicate, duplicate God's kingdom millions of times over across the world. No one would have believed it. No, the, the group that possessed the message was not impressive, but the message was. The group that possessed the message was not very impressive, but the message was. Friends, let me just tell you, I am not a very impressive person. I prayed up here just a few minutes ago with our staff and those that are leading worship. I even confessed, Lord, I'll be honest with you, I am undeserving of this calling that you have given me. I am undeserving to stand before you. Many of you are smarter in the Bible than probably I am. Maybe you're more qualified. Potentially some of you may even be better speakers and communicators than I. And yet God has somehow said, no, Stuart, this is your job. I'm going to give it to you. And through the, my power working in you, people will hear the gospel. Oh, I'm so humbled. I'm not worthy and neither were they. And yet God still blesses it. And Jesus was trying to help the disciples understand that they were not to judge anything according to size. Size doesn't matter to God. In fact, God finds potential in the puny things of life. By the way, take King David, for example. David was the youngest of his brothers, not the oldest. He was the weakest of his brothers, 
He, by the way, was the most distant from his family, from his brothers and from his father. And he found himself oftentimes alienated from his family because he was a shepherd by trade. David, by the way, was not a mighty warrior as we often think that he was. God was certainly on his side against the mighty Philistine warrior Goliath. But if you look at the person of Goliath, scientifically, Goliath was probably sick and ailing. Oh, friends, David was not a mighty warrior. David was an artist. David was an artist. He enjoyed music and he enjoyed the arts. David, in his pastime, he didn't spend time uh, in archery. He didn't spend time throwing axes. No, David spent his time writing music. In contrast, Saul, the first king of Israel, he was strong. He was a warrior. Do, Do you know, by the way, do you know why the Israelites wanted King Saul to be their king? The scripture tells us in the book of 1 Samuel that Saul was a good-looking dude. Ladies, let me tell you, imagine King Saul. He was a mixture of Chris Hemsworth, Brad Pitt, and me. (laughs) Can you imagine that? My goodness, he was a handsome fella. And boy, he was good with a sword. He was good with a bow. He was a mighty warrior, and the scripture tells us that Saul was tall. It says that the people chose him mainly because of his height. He was a big old fella, and people respected him, not because of what was on the interior of his heart. People respected him because he looked like he played the part. Yet God had a new plan in store for the people of Israel. He chooses the young, the weak, He chooses David to be the next king. David was a perfect vessel for God's work. He even reminds Samuel, the prophet, to not look at the outside of the person because you're going to miss the person's true potential. If all you do is look at a person's exterior, you'll always see the wrong thing. You'll always miss the person. 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things the way people do. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord. Where does the Lord look? The heart. He doesn't look at your height or your might. He looks at your heart. And friends, this is still true today. It's true of God's kingdom. This little bitty tiny Jesus movement has impacted the world on a global scale. It started out as a mustard seed, and we are the beneficiaries some 2,020 years later from a group of men from the Middle East. It spread all the way here. And friends, I would tell you that billions upon billions walk in faith today because of one man and 12 sinners. And the same holds true with people. People have massive potential, but we often miss it because we judge on outward appearances. Not long ago, by the way, that's a true story. Not long ago, there were a group of archaeologists who were excavating one of the pyramids in Egypt. And they found a seed, a small seed that was implanted in one of the tombs. And it said that that seed is some 3,000 years old. That seed had laid dormant in an Egyptian tomb in one of the pyramids for 3,000 years. So these archaeologists, they, they began to study it. And do you know what they did with that seed? They planted it. <laughs> 
They planted it. That was one of the most interesting things about it. They took what had been stored for a very long time, something that was very small, something very insignificant, and they allowed it to germinate. And friends, people are just like that. See, that seed that was 3,000 years old, it produced a tree. And people are just the same way. People have potential. No matter your age, no matter where you're from, no matter how long you've laid dormant, no matter if you've just come to Christ at the age of 90 or if you got to know him when you were nine, people have greater potential than we give them credit for. Just like God's kingdom, many times people start off small and yet carry great potential. So this morning, three heavenly truths from Christ from these two parables. The first truth is this. There's potential in the puny. And friend, there's not a person in this room that's not puny. And I would be in the front of that line. I am a puny person, thankful that God can use me. But then there's truth number two. There is time for us to be taught. Jesus is going to take this moment and turn it into a teachable moment. Again, in verses 20 and 21, and again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And what that really, what he's saying is that this woman took the leaven, hid it in the flour, and then eventually the flour rose like bread. Yet again, Jesus uses another really simple thing to explain the kingdom of God. He compares the kingdom, of, uh, uh, the kingdom to leaven or yeast that a woman takes to make her bread rise. In Jesus' day, by the way, leaven or yeast is symbolic of evil. It's symbolic of sin. It's symbolic of wickedness. If the Pharisees were going to talk about the kingdom of God, the Pharisees would not have talked or given an illustration using leaven. That, that, that would not have been the direction that they would take. And yet again, Jesus is breaking rules. Jesus is breaking procedures. He's breaking apart from the religious elite, these, this, uh, the, these group of folks that are just so concerned about rules and procedures. Jesus breaks from them. The Pharisees would have maintained that it was best and even biblical not to allow the kingdom of God to be compared to yeast, but instead you want to throw out of the kingdom of God yeast and leaven. If you go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, it says this, For seven days the bread you eat must be made what? Without what? Without yeast. Don't use yeast. No, 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 no. You, you can't use yeast on the first day of the festival remove every trace of yeast from your house. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are good at dusting, you would have been dusting dust. You would have been dusting yeast and leaven out of your house. You throw yeast and leaven out. You don't hide it. You don't allow it to be a part of the flour. The kingdom of God can't be like a woman bringing yeast in. It must be thrown out. Jesus would eventually Turn the table on these Pharisees, calling their teachings yeast and demanding his followers to forget it and dispose of it. If you go back to Luke chapter 12, just three chapters or one chapter over, it says, Meanwhile, the crowds grew into the thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. 
And Jesus turned to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, for it is hypocrisy. Again, in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of, and of uh, Herod. Pharisees, it, it, the, Jesus would often use the word yeast and, and terminology like that to talk about the Pharisees' teachings. And Jesus is showing us this morning that the kingdom of God is made up of yeast and leaven. It's made up of sinners, wicked people, people that were redeemed and saved. Let me tell you something about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There is not a space in the kingdom of God reserved for anyone that is perfect or flawless save Jesus. Did you know that? There's not going to be one perfect person in the kingdom of God. Because we're all leaven. We're all yeast. We're all imperfect. Everyone in God's kingdom will be a transformed sinner just like me and you. And God will use these sinners to help his kingdom rise. Do you see the illustration? He's going to use people just like those disciples. Just like you and me. And we will raise the kingdom of God. Jesus was so great at finding teachable moments in everyday things and everyday people and practices. And you know, these are teachable moments about the Christian lives. There are teachable moments about the Christian lives everywhere if we are simply looking for it. If we view this world with spiritual eyes, we can see illustrations just like this and we can hear God's voice in so many different places. We can see God reveal himself in music. We can see God reveal himself in our children, in our spouses. We can see God at work. We can see God at school. We can see God in our home. We can see God in, our, in others. Jesus was able to illustrate the kingdom of God in the simplicity of yeast and leaven working in everyday bread. There is nothing complicated about what Jesus is talking about. There's nothing deep or hidden from what Jesus is talking about. Again, Jesus wants to illustrate that God's kingdom is made up of sinners, not saints. Who the Pharisees would throw away, God wants to build a kingdom with. Again, this is a picture of the church. God doesn't desire the church to be a country club for the saints, but a hospital for the sinner. Trust me, folks. We all have leaven in our lives. Every single person in this room has leaven in their lives. All of us do. And thankfully, we're not judged by the life and death that we bring to the table. Rather, we are judged by the life and death that Christ brings to the table. If we were judged by our leaven and our leaven alone, we would be in a bad, bad place. But, but praise God that that's not the story. We're judged by what Christ has done for us. In Ephesians chapter 7 Listen to what Paul says. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. Oh, Jesus is graceful. He's forgiving. He puts up with us. Jesus is not worried about our leaven, our wickedness, or our sinfulness. Why? Because he's already paid for it. He's already put it to bed. And we don't have to be contained by it any longer. So three heavenly truths, there is potential in the puny. There is time to be taught. There's always teachable moments everywhere around us. And then 
Truth number three, there's no stopping our Savior. There is no stopping our Savior. Again, in verse 21, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Isn't that a hilarious joke that Jesus just told? Don't you get it? Probably not. Now, Jesus is being somewhat funny in this passage, and we don't get the joke, obviously, but his contemporaries would have most certainly laughed at that last statement that Jesus made. A woman hid, hid three measures of flour. Now, the reason we don't get the joke is because we don't know what three measures is. Friends, let me tell you, three measures of leaven being hid in flour is a lot of leaven. A measure is equal to a peck and a half of flour. Do anybody know what a peck and a half of flour is? That's a lot of flour. It's a lot of leaven. It's about 13 liters of leaven. (laughs) This woman decided, you know what? I'm going to hide some leaven in this flour. 13 liters of it. That's a lot of liters. That's a lot of leaven. That's enough flour and leaven. It would have been 50 pounds of leaven that this woman was hiding. It would have been enough bread. It would have been enough leavened bread to feed 150 people. 150 people. If the lady doing the baking was hiding something, it wouldn't stay hidden for very long. After baking the bread, what she was hiding would have been easily discovered as the bread began to rise. So what is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is telling his followers that you can no more stop the kingdom of God from growing than you can stop yeast from having a chemical reaction to flour making bread rise. Once that yeast is mixed in, there's no way. It is absolutely impossible to remove it from the flour. It is going to rise once it's mixed. You can't do anything about it. Just like when God's kingdom starts to grow, there is nothing that can be done to stop it. Nothing. God's kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom is always on the move. God's kingdom is always growing. No matter what we do to get in the way, it is never going to end. Jesus had brought God's kingdom to earth, and now it's our time, our time to help it grow. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Sure, the kingdom of God is small now, but just wait. It will be growing soon, and there's nothing that can be done about it. You can persecute it, and guess what? It will grow all the more. You can martyr the followers of Christ, but new followers will spring up as they die. You can burn down the churches, but the churches will continue to grow underground. You can take it out of the school, but you can't take it out of the students' hearts. You can remove it from the courtroom, but friends, God's law and God's word is stamped. It's seared on our hearts and on our conscience. We know it without even knowing it. You can outlaw it. You can outlaw it. But God's word, God's kingdom will always reign supreme. You can't stop the kingdom of God from growing any more than you can stop bread, that which was leavened, 
from rising. It's a joke to imagine that God's kingdom would ever be snuffed out. We should laugh in the face of that. Oh, it's easy to find bad news about God's kingdom. It's easy to find bad news about the church. Yeah, because have you noticed here in America, churches seem to be withered. They, they seem to be shrinking. And we begin to think to ourselves, well, if the church doesn't survive in America, then how will it ever survive? Let me tell you, friends and family, the church will be around much longer than America will be around. And I hope that you are a citizen first of God's kingdom than you are a citizen secondary of the United States of America. God's kingdom, his church does not rise and fall with the presidency. It does not rise and fall with the Supreme Court. It doesn't rise and fall with these great lands. God's kingdom is eternal. And every other nation, every other king, every other kingdom is going to fall away except for God's kingdom. Thank you. Praise the Lord. So friends, this morning, if you're looking for an action point, what are you doing today to help God's kingdom grow? If you are a disciple of Christ, ask yourself that. What am I doing today? What am I doing now to help God's kingdom grow? There's really only two types of people in the world. There are those who are about the business of spreading the gospel, and there are those who are trying to hinder it. And by the way, doing nothing, doing nothing at all, is actually not growing God's kingdom, it's hindering God's kingdom. Because if you are a follower of Christ, you've been given a holy mandate to go and make disciples of all people, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our mandate. That does not mean, well, I don't know, preacher, I don't have that spiritual gift of evangelism and discipleship. Guess what? God didn't say, if you have the gift of evangelism and discipleship, go therefore. He just said to go. It doesn't matter what spiritual gift you have. That is the mandate. That is the command. And by not doing it, we hinder the growth of God's kingdom. So what are you doing to help it grow? So today, be about God's call. Share your testimony. Tell people what Christ has done in your life. Let people know what Jesus has saved you from. Make it personal. Make it powerful. And bring God's presence into it. But make a point to share it. I pray this morning that you will do what Jesus has told us to do. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus tells us to, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom, not my kingdom or your kingdom. Don't be in the business of making a kingdom for yourself. Rather be about God's kingdom, God's work, and his people. Oh, friend, I pray that you'll take these truths and that you'll take this information and that you will turn it into action. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we come before you and we are thankful that you have allowed us to be a part of the work of your kingdom. That we have the opportunity to be about the business of, of growing your kingdom through your church. Father, today we pray that you will use us and that, Lord, we would not be about what we are, uh, what we can do, but, Lord, rather what you can do through us. 
Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't judge us about the smallness of our lives, but that, Lord, you saw potential and see potential in all of us. And, Lord, we pray these things tonight or today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.